Oh, yes, a very good afternoon, everyone. Uh, welcome to Sports Day with Peter Vlahos. Thanks to Kia, the seven-seat Kia Sorento, large SUV, uh, naming rights sponsors of Sports Day. And, of course, you can join us anytime. On the Tempera Bedshed text machine 0487 736 736. As we know, Bedshed are experts in temper mattresses, pillows and adjustable bases. And check the range of temper products in store or visit bedshed.com.au. We're going to talk cricket with John Townsend in just a few moments' time. Uh, we've got the post first test between Australia and the West Indies. And this man a couple of weeks ago said the ticket sales were fairly low. He was the first one to say it. He says at that stage, a couple of weeks ago, before the first test, they were selling in their hundreds, not in their thousands. Uh, we've got the second test, the day-night test coming up. Will Lance Morris maybe get the opportunity if the Australian selectors decide to rest someone like Mitchell Stark, who bowled over 40 overs? He and Josh Hazelwood, they reckon that they might be a bit sore and they may rest them up uh, for the test match in Adelaide, ahead of what's going to be a pretty gruelling summer for the Australians. The Big Bash is coming as well. The Perth Scorchers are in action next week, and we're right across it here at SENWA. Look forward to calling uh, all the home Big Bash matches for the Perth Scorchers. John Townsend is uh, the Bible when it comes to cricket. He's been covering it for a long, long time. Journalist come commentator, and again, he's accepted the invitation to join us on the program. John, thanks for your time. Uh, good day, Peter. Thanks for the uh, for the uh, pump up. Nice. <laughs> I know you're on your way out, and you've got the uh, dinner suit ready with the black bow tie. It is the Football Guild Media Awards tonight. In fact, it was great to see Frizz Ferguson, who uh, is on the Football Guild committee, pop into the SEN studios. Uh, Frizz and I go back a long way working at uh, Nine Radio uh, some years ago, and no doubt a big night for the football uh, fraternity tonight here at Optus Stadium. Oh, yeah, it is. Your friends has come over from Melbourne. She's the secretary of the WA Footy Media Guild. So that's basically the body that um, has all people involved in the media in, in football. Um, they come together once a year for the awards, and I'm looking forward to it. I'm not sure if I'm in the in the chop to, to win anything. I think you're fine when you get moved out of the mainstream media. It gets a little bit harder, Peter, to, uh, <laughs> uh, to compete on an even playing field. But uh, there's a lot of talent around in WA media, and I'm looking forward to the event. Um, I think what we have seen is, some, you know, there's a series of AFL players who've made really good... This is not downplaying what uh, other members of the media have done and journalists and, and whatever... But there's a couple of people like Luke McFarlane and Will Schofield um, and Paul Hazelby and Matthew Pavlich have, have probably been doing it for a bit longer. But uh, certainly as far as Schofield and, and McFarlane go, they've made a really good fist of, of uh, going into the media and they, they bring great insights, obviously, of having played at the, at the, right, well, at the highest level. But it's all very well to be a good player. You've got to be able to express it and, and to communicate with people, and they do it. Uh, very well, and I wouldn't be surprised if uh, one or both of those blokes takes out a an award for for what they're doing on on uh, radio this uh, over this year, over yeah. this footy season. Yes, we uh, wish everybody the best of luck tonight at the Footy Media Guild Awards here at Optus Stadium. Let's talk cricket. I'm going to play you this firstly. This is Cricket Australia CEO Nick Hockley on the poor crowds here at Optus Stadium over the five days of the first Test between Australia and the West Indies. 
Uh, I think starting on a Wednesday, probably not the best. It's a very busy time. People are at school, people are at, at work. Um, but really hope the crowd builds towards the, the weekend. And I think people are just getting used to this stadium. And uh, as you say, it's been a couple of years since we've had Test cricket. It's certainly, speaking to people yesterday, uh, the atmosphere around the ground, those people were having an absolutely fantastic day out. And we just encourage people to come down as the, the match progresses and towards the weekend. Why did we start on a Wednesday? Again, it comes down to the exceptional circumstances of this this season. The scheduling's really complex, but uh, with a T20 World Cup landing at this particular time, uh, it just meant we have a li- had a little less flexibility in terms of start dates. So there you go. That was Hockley with Waitley last Friday heading into the weekend. It didn't improve much across the weekend. John, you predicted it. Now, starting on Wednesday was a factor. But as there is there other factors that led to what was, I think, 40,000 people over five days of test cricket here at Optus? Yeah, yeah, look, I, I think he was kidding himself if he thought the atmosphere was outstanding. I mean, I was at the game for, for several days and there weren't many people there. The biggest crowd was uh, 11,000 on the Friday. And I thought based on that, actually, the Saturday might be pretty good, but they only got about 7,000. So people had obviously made their, their decision a way, a way out that they would, they would probably thought the game wasn't going to go till Saturday. So they didn't plan to go and didn't turn up, even though it was alive with with Australia well and truly on top. Um, look, I'm I'm not surprised. I'm not sure that the web is as significant as they made out. I mean, the Thursday crowd was ordinary. The Friday crowd got a bit better. Um, there's far more reasons than simply a Wednesday start day. And look, I understand what Hockley said about it's a very tight turnaround. There's there needs to be three days between matches now. So if it started on Perth. On a Thursday, it meant the uh, the uh, Adelaide game would have had to have started on uh, on the Friday, and they certainly prefer in Adelaide with the day night to get two um, look look at maybe a Thursday start and then hopefully get two days of the weekend as well. Now that's not saying that you know that, that sort of downplaying a little, bit, but I, th- I think that's their, their proposed or their preferred um, scheduling. There's a lot more elements at play. One. Have a look at a few things, Peter. There hasn't been a test match in Perth for three years. So people have got out of the habit of actually going to the game. That, mm. That's a that's a fundamental. The Langer situation carries a bit of weight too. There's a sense that Langer got squeezed out as Australian coach. He was hard done by. And, and I think that's, that's a reasonably valid uh, opinion. And the Aussies are on the nose to some degree. You know, uh, Pat Cummins talking about the, you know, the sponsorship, the Alinta sponsorship. I do notice when he celebrated taking his 200th Test wicket, he was he was wearing the Alinta uh, logo on his shirt. So didn't stop him performing. Though maybe it stopped him getting on the park towards the end of the game. He did a he did a quad injury during the game. So there's a, a number of elements, not just the, the Wednesday start. So the Australian team on the nose a little bit. Uh, the Langer situation, the first opportunity for the crowd to speak with their feet. Uh, the Wednesday start, maybe a little bit. But more importantly, I think the fact that there hasn't been any test cricket for three years means that people fall out of the habit of, of going to the game and what it means to go to, to cricket. Yeah, so and of course, the West there's a number in... of elements that all came together. And the West Indies aren't exactly a magnet these days no, because well, that's, where they're that's at. the other thing too. Yeah. And uh, guess what? They're coming back next summer as well. They're yeah. Another two, I mean, the two test series is nonsensical. Uh, but they're back next summer. So it so, uh, didn't even happen when they were absolutely at their peak. And now they're a long way off their peak, but they're going to come to Australia in consecutive summers for, 
for two test series. I mean, that makes no sense at all. That's crazy. So saying that, because of the poor attendance here at Optus, I've read a couple of articles, mainly from Eastern States journalists, suggesting that we are maybe in danger of losing the test match next summer or going forward. Uh, is it, a, is it a, an issue, do you think? I'd, I'd look, I'd, I think in the bigger picture that, that clearly is. And one of the reasons for that is that the five-test series are diminished now. So England, the Ashes is a five-test series. And I note India is so popular, particularly in India, that that's going to be five-test series now uh, or on, on occasion. Everything else are either threes and twos. And which means if you get, you know, it's quite conceivable that you might only have a three-test series in an Australian summer which makes it very difficult for Perth to get a, a game, let alone a, a high-quality game. So that, that's, a, that's a reasonable fear, I think, that cricket people have, that there may not be um, a test match in Perth every summer. And, and the reason for that is that test cricket is diminishing. Um, where, where does it fit in? It makes it very difficult. Next year, Pakistan are here for three and, and the West Indies for two. If you're only getting 10,000 people a day to the Perth test... Canberra and Hobart become slightly more attractive. Uh, now, I think Perth, the Perth Stadium is still well ahead of Hobart and, and of Canberra. But if it's a matter of weighing up one versus the other on an even playing field, maybe the sense is that, you know, the, the stadium is going to be empty. Uh, you're going to have 50,000 empty seats with 10,000 people there. Maybe it looks better going to a smaller ground where there's, you know, fewer empty seats. And I reckon that which means that the wacker comes back into the calculations as a potential test ground, and, uh, you know, a year or two after it appeared that that would never happen again. I think the reality of this test match is that maybe the wacker should be looked at as a, as a valid alternative to Perth Stadium for, for the smaller drawing countries. OK, we've got the uh, day-night test match, the pink ball test match at the Adelaide Oval starting on Thursday. Uh, will Lance Morris get a test call-up? Here he is. Genuine surprise, yeah. I'd struggled to even pack my kit bag, to be honest. Yeah, I've been clocked 150 quite a few times now, so I think that we can actually lock that in. Honestly, the way things have happened the last 24 hours, you never know. You never know, Lance Morris. Will they rest Stark in particular? He's like for like with Mitchell Stark. Jeff Thompson, of course, the firebrand Australian fast bowler of the 70s and 80s, used to hurl him down at 160 kilometres an hour. Well, Lance Morris hurls him down at 150, and Tomo says, give him the ball and just let him rip. What are your thoughts? Oh, look, I, I think he's not far off, but, I mean, if, if Hazelwood and, and Stark are fit, you can't see him playing ahead of either of those. Um, I'd be flabbergasted if uh, Cummins got up to play, so you'd think he's going to miss, and then Boland, or what you'd think, would come in. The Australian selections are inherently cautious and conservative, Peter. I'd be very surprised if they brought in an uncut young player ahead of Boland, who had such a great uh, summer last summer, and, and Michael Nessa, who's, who's been a very good backup player over the last few years and bowls well with the pink ball. The one thing about Morris, though, and, it, and although I say, you know, the selectors are conservative, the one thing about fast bowlers is that they can emerge from nowhere. They just They just jump through the ranks because of their their pace and he certainly got that Lance Morris is the leading wicket taker in Sheffield Shield cricket this season and there's only one player in Sheffield Shield history 130 years who's taken more than 45 wickets at a better strike rate so his strike rate is of 41 is easily the best 
in over a century in Shield cricket. So mm. if he came in, I wouldn't be surprised if he did a you know, did a pretty good job. But I think the hierarchy in Australian cricket is pretty strong, and he and Boland is knocking on the door, and then Messer is a you know a, um, if you looked at it tactically, he could come in as a white ball as a as a night specialist or a pink ball specialist. So I think he's he's a long shot to play. But if he did play, I reckon he'd make a pretty good fist of it. Good stuff. Uh, before we go to a couple of final comments uh, from you, John, uh, Al has actually texted us in from Northlake on the temper of bedshed text machine 0487736736. We're talking about the test match at Optus. says, Peter, cost would have been a deterrent to people attending the Perth test match. They had $30 tickets, but who wants to be roasted in the sun? Decent seats were in the order of $100. Throwing drinks and a bite to eat, and you're looking at a pricey day out with no guarantee of decent entertainment. Uh, thanks for that, Al. And that may have been a factor as well. I watched the test match last night between Pakistan and England. It was just outstanding. And all the English commentators, the likes of Mike Atherton, Nasser Hussain, and all the others are just glowing in their uh, terms as Ben Stokes has been one of the best captains that England have ever put up. Just going back to the success of this team, it was simply a message we sent out to Brookie who could have cruised himself to 100, but it was, you know, we had about half an hour left until the tea break, I think, and um, you know, we just sent the message out saying, put your foot down now because we're going to declare it tea. And there was, there was no sort of second guessing ourselves on that because that's what we wanted to go into day five. We want to make this, you know, test match cricket. We want people viewing this. We don't want it to be something where people might just, I don't know, turn the TV off because it might be the inevitable draw. And you just got to think of ways to, to keep growing test cricket, keep bringing people back to watching it. You know, the crowd here this week was was amazing. And I'm going to lie, the reception that we sort of got walking off the field as winners in Pakistan um, was very special. And, um, you know, I hope that everyone in Pakistan who's turned out to watch this game um, appreciated the... The cricket that's been played all this week, not just from us, but also from Pakistan. Unbelievable test match, wasn't it? Raul Pindi on an absolute featherbed of a wicket. England scores 600 in the first innings. Pakistan reply with 500, and you get a result. And that's what test match cricket's all about. And Ben Stokes was one of the reasons, as captain of England, that there was a result on the final day. Oh, yeah, they, they played bold, aggressive cricket, and they got rewards for it against the Pakistan side that was... On the back foot throughout the, the game, I, I didn't think they sort of... They didn't fight fire with fire, which they might have been better advised to do. And as you said, on a, a very flat deck. If the deck had been doing a bit more, it would have been harder for England to do on the first day, which was to score 500. Um, but they, they're playing bold, aggressive, attacking cricket, which is in the, you know, the, um, the mould of Brendan McCullum, their coach, and obviously Ben Stokes. Australia doesn't have to do that. Peter, I mean, they don't need to be as aggressive. They're up against a much lesser opponent in the West Indies. So they can do what they did in Perth, which is grind with high-quality pace and top-order batting, and, and with Nathan Lyon as well, who's a match winner. They, they don't have to play that very aggressive cricket. They can just play at their normal pace, and, and that should get them the job done. Uh, we'll see whether the same thing applies against South Africa in a couple of weeks' time. Um, but I'm really looking forward to the Ashes next year because mm. Australia might have to play more bold cricket then. If, if England are going to continue on with this path, and you think they will do, if, they, if they're getting rewards and, and wins, of course they're going to keep going that way. Um, 
if that's the case, it should make for a fascinating test series in England next year. All right, we'll let you go, uh, John, to your commitment tonight. Finally, the Big Bash gets underway next week. And will the crowds come back? I know there's been some concerns from Cricket Australia about what's transpired over the last uh, couple of summers. Your thoughts? Uh, they're killing the Golden Goose, which is the Big Bash. It's too long. People get just get tired of it. They might they might have a good start, of course, because people it's it's fresh and new and coming out of a pretty interesting T20 World Cup. Maybe the the interest level will be up there, but it goes on for too long. There's too many games. There's not enough quality games. There's not enough good players. And Cricket Australia is is uh, cooking its golden goose, unfortunately. Mm. Good on you, John. Thanks for joining us. Always a great Cheers, uh, a chat to you, mate. Enjoy tonight and good luck. Thank you. Got it. John Townsend joining us. Talking cricket, he's opinionated uh, and certainly understands uh, cricket in all three formats. Sports Day with Peter Vlahos. We'll take a break, come back with more in a moment. It's 16 past five. Yeah, great to have your company. Just updating what's happened in sport. Four tyre power by three. And get one free on selected Falcon all-terrain tyres at your local tyre power dealer. World Cup action overnight. Uh, Brazil too strong for South Korea. They scored four goals in the first half to beat South Korea by four goals uh, to one. And Croatia advanced on penalties over Japan. Japan went ahead late in the first half. Croatia equalised early in the second half. It went to... uh, Certainly uh, extra time. Uh, there was no change to the scoreline. One all, it came back to penalties. And in the end, Croatia won at penalties. Uh, Japan actually missed their first two penalties, which in the end put them right behind the eight ball. So the quarterfinals, Croatia will now play Brazil. The other ones that have been confirmed, the Netherlands against Argentina and England against France, which will be an absolute beauty. And that is uh, Sunday morning, 3 a.m. our time. And then tonight we've got Morocco, Spain playing in Portugal, Switzerland. And the winners of those two games will go through to uh, complete the quarterfinal lineup and the four games. Eddie Jones is said to be sacked as coach of England's rugby team any day now. The Rugby Football Union has not confirmed Jones's exit ahead of a Tuesday board meeting over there in the UK. There are reports despite uh, fighting for his job, the Australian looks doomed. James met uh, with the panel reviewing England's dismal recent results and the RFU chief executive, Bill Sweeney, will report to his board today. So it looks like he may be on the way out. And I covered this uh, story a couple of weeks ago regarding legendary tennis coach Nick Bollettieri. He was gravely ill. I spoke to a gentleman who had worked with him for seven years. Well, the news has come through that he has passed on Nick Bollettieri at the age of 91, who helped develop superstars such as Andre Agassi and Maria Sharapova. Nick Bollettieri, the legendary tennis coach and founder of Nick Bollettieri Tennis Academy, which served as the foundation for today's IMG Academy, passed away. That's what the statement read. The IMG Academy is a private boarding school that describes itself as the world's leading sports education brand. And uh, Jimmy Arias, who's the IMG Academy Director of Tennis and one of Bollettieri's original students, says tennis wouldn't be where it is today without Nick's influence. I spoke to Rob Kilderry a couple of weeks ago when we found out that Nick Bollettieri was ill. And we spoke about uh, the pioneer he was when it came to world tennis and the influence that he had. 
And here's just a snippet of that chat we had with Rob Kilderry a couple of weeks ago, and I asked him what sort of bloke was Nick Bolateri. Oh, he was a great man. Um, he taught a lot of these players. They would, they probably a lot of them wouldn't even understand what he taught them. You know, like I mean, Nick was great. I mean, he had a few philosophies like if you ain't happy, you can't play, or you're not going out there to do your best. You're going out there to win. And he didn't believe... He wasn't a technical coach, so to speak. Like uh, He was backed up by Mark McCormack from IMG. Mm-hmm. So Mark was the, the biggest sports manager. I mean, he managed golfers, downhill skiers, you know. Mark managed everybody. Players in those days would go to Boletaries and try and get sponsored by Mark. So Mark, IMG owned Nick's Academy. At any one time, you could look around there, I mean... If I said, you know, Agassi, Courier, Salas, Mary Pierce, Martina Hingis, Sharpova, Crickstein, Mioli, she won the French Open, Becker, Borg, and I could go on. That was where you go. Nick basically changed the game because the return of serve of Agassi and Salas was so good, they couldn't afford to serve volley. So he was part of the problem in terms for serve volleys. And luckily, Pat Rafter got through that period where there were still a few servos. So Nick basically changed the game in a lot of ways. There's what we got now is what big forehands. Nick was a big one on having big forehands. But he was a character. I mean, he was a funny man. And, it's uh, interesting, actually. If, if you go to Boletaries, yeah. you went there and you walk in, oh, there's a guy lying on the ground with his shirt off with a sundial on his chest. Good morning, good morning. And that was him. <laughs> Getting his sundial. Oh, yeah, yeah, mate. It's interesting. I'll get, I'll get to you in a moment how the invitation came for you to go. And I was, I was actually reading a bit about Nick Bolateri. The fact, when yeah. he was released from the Army back in 1957... to earn a Paratrooper. Few, yeah, to earn a few dollars, he began teaching tennis on the North Miami Beach Courts about $1.50 per hour. And then he got a bit more accomplished and he charged $6 an hour. And his first student <laughs> that succeeded was a guy called Brian Gottfried, who rose to world yeah. number three in 1977. Can I ask you, how did Nick Bolateri and Rob Kildare come together? That's funny because I was in Lugano, Switzerland with a WA girl, Jenny Byrne. She lost the double final against Betsy Nagelson and Kathy Jordan. Mm-hmm. Betsy was Mark McCormack's wife. So we got chatting. Mark said, look, I'll be in Perth in, I think it was 86. He said, I'll catch up. I might have a lesson, you see. So we went to the Western Mail building or the court on top of the Western Mail. I forget where oh, it was. Oh, yes, <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah. And I gave him a lesson. He said, well, come back to the hotel. How would you like to work for Arnold Palmer and myself at our club in Orlando and Florida? I said, oh, God. From a field of one, I had a chance, you know. But <laughs> And I said, well, that would be great. And I said, what are the conditions? He said... Write out your perfect scenario. I said, oh, okay. So I wrote out and he said, send it to me. And two weeks later, he rang up and said, yep, all set. Well, we thought we'd gone a bit too hard because, you know, we said, well, if we're going to go that far, we'd better go for it. Mm-hmm. But that included my son, Paul, going to Boletari's Academy free of charge. It included, you know, everything you want if you're coaching. And yeah. uh, and that's how it happened. And uh, so Mark rang up and said, everything's fine. I'll fly you over, have a look at the club, whatever. It's a bit like driving into, you know, Disney World or something. You look around and you can't believe this, can't believe this is happening to me. Yeah. By the way, Disney World was just down the road anyway. And so there I was. But what happened then, I, I think 
Mark basically wanted me to coach Betsy, his wife, and I think that was a lot of the reason. Sports Day for Kia. The seven-seat Kia Sorento. Kia's most awarded large SUV ever. Available now at your nearest Kia dealer. Great to have you coming here. It is Sports Day WA with Peter Vlahos on this Tuesday. Tomorrow, don't forget, from 5 o'clock, one-on-one with the Football Federation of Australia CEO, James Johnson. He's going to have a chat to us. He just flew back from Qatar yesterday. He'll be joining me at the top of the program tomorrow and we'll have a real lengthy conversation about Australian football Graham Arnold's tenure, will they want to re-sign him? What is the process? All the questions will be asked tomorrow. So James Johnson joins us at the top of the program tomorrow here on Sports Day WA. Looking forward to that chat. We talked to all the big names in football. And speaking of that, Tony Sage now joins me, the owner-chairman of the Perth Glory, head of the return home of the Perth Glory A-League side, which is fantastic. Tony, thanks for your time. Uh, thanks, Peter. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, finally, we get a home game. Yeah, no, it's exciting. Let's talk about that in a moment. Uh, you would have followed the Socceroos' journey. It was pretty exciting. It was good stuff, wasn't it? It looked fantastic. And who would have imagined at the beginning of the World Cup that you'd have uh, Germany, Belgium and Denmark, all of them in the top ten, knocked out, uh, and Australia, USA, Japan and South Korea in unbelievable no one would have uh, forecast that uh, not even myself I didn't think we'd make it uh, but yeah you know, it just goes to show a champion team beats a team of champions and uh, we did that um, against um, Tunisia and against Denmark so fantastic effort well as I said, I'm talking to James Johnson tomorrow night I'll ask you this question before I ask this question of him on the back end of that, what does football need to do now to capitalise on the Socceroos profile, its brand and the fact that it brought so many people together? Look, we, we, we've got to have a, a longer season to give our uh, A-League players uh, more playing time. That's number one. We've known that as owners for a long time, but the FA, FFA couldn't accommodate it. Now that we uh, now own the league, uh, we're desperately trying to now uh, expand uh, to go to 14 teams initially. Uh, that'll give us an extra few games. But just expanding the, 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 the amount of game time that we've got, really um, um, all the clubs have really got to get together and really strengthen their academies. I mean, our academy is working beautifully. We've got seven players in the under-20s and under seventeen Australian team teams so uh, we've done our job uh, some other states uh, Brisbane Raw for example just cut their under 15s 14s 13s and 12s which was not a good good move as, as far as all the other owners were concerned so that that's another thing uh, we do need a center of excellence uh, where um, where everyone can gather like it used to be in the old AIS uh, once they do get into that so a lot of things do have to change and uh, I think with the impetus of this World Cup uh, James will go to government and say look you've built these centres for hockey you've built them for this we now need one for football uh, and I think that will happen over the next three or four years. Because you're not at uh, HBF Park uh, uh, you've built a centre a soccer centre we can term it that way at Macedonia Park it'll be there on display in the game at the weekend against Western United. You're happy the way it's come together, and what do you expect? 
Look, um, I'm happy the, the way that our staff have really managed to, to do a great job uh, from nothing. I mean, uh, you've been to obviously uh, to uh, games at Macedonia Park before the improvements. Uh, uh, the pitch wasn't good. There's no lights, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So what they've managed to do in just eight weeks is transform uh, the, the 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 ground into something that will look fantastic on television, and uh, the players will be able to play on a surface that's ten times better than it was uh, ten weeks ago. So in that regard, fantastic. But you know, it just does show that if things don't go well, and the WAC is not available, and Optus is not available, there's no other. Uh, rectangle stadium uh, in Perth uh, if HBF ever goes down again. So, you know, that's a bit of a slight and we're very, very upset about it. I mean, revenues have been hit by $3.5 million, no memberships or corporates because we just can't sell more than 4,000 tickets and uh, uh, our corporates, there's only room for about 100 people. Mm. Um, So, yeah, it's, it's, it's fantastic the way it's turned out and it'll be a great atmosphere out there. But financially, it has really impacted the club. Yeah, and has the government come to the party to assist? Because in the end, it was a government issue, the reason why you couldn't play at their facility in East Perth. Yeah, look, I'm hoping they will. Uh, they've already um, uh, seen that, that, that we're on our knees uh, and they have come to the party a little bit. Um, it's just the, the timing. <laughs> we need the money now. We don't need it in six months when we work out how much we've lost. We know we're going to lose $4.5 million this year as a direct result uh, of the decision. So we've got some money up front just to keep us going, but we need it now. Uh, hopefully the government uh, can come to the party and, 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 and really do it now, not wait till the end of the season to see how much the, the losses are. They should be able to see it now, the red ink now. But, but look, I, I take my hat off to them. They didn't have to give us anything until the end of the season. They've given us a little bit, but we'd just like to see that uh, increase now so we can continue on playing. Okay, let's have a look. Uh, 7.30 kickoff Saturday night, Perth Glory against Western United. Like the Glory, you know, Western United have had a stuttering start under John Aloisi, uh, who is the coach there. Tony, when you go to HBF Park, there is plenty of seats available. People often rock up to the turnstiles. It's going to be different now with a 4,000-seat capacity. So if people have the same habits, they may miss out on Saturday night. Yeah, that's right. They've got to get tickets. And, uh, you know, we just found out only yesterday that they won't take cash. So if you've got 40 bucks or 20 I think it's only 25 bucks. Uh, if you've got 25 bucks um, cash, wanting to get in, you can't get in. You've got to either pay by credit card uh, or FBOS or something. They weren't even going to have that. So they really want people... The, the government have done this with the council because they don't want 2,000 people rocking up and there's no seats. So they don't want like 1,500 people wandering around the suburb uh, with nothing to do. So they really want to pre-sell all the games. So if you really want a, a seat at the stadium on Saturday night, you've got to buy your ticket online or make sure that you've got your credit card or debit card uh, going in on Saturday, on Saturday. Make sure you don't expect to be paying in cash. So no cash sales, which is different to HBF Park, isn't it? You could pay cash yeah, when you went to HBF. Different. Yeah, completely different. Yeah, it's completely different. And, and they've done it deliberately. They've got heaps of shuttle buses from the train station, so they don't want really people to park, so they've made parking expensive as well. Um, because we really are, I mean, the maximum crowd they probably get at uh, Macedonia Park, and we've been told, is between three and four hundred. 
right? So to get 4,000 people, and if they all drove their cars there, so they're really trying to dissuade people from driving and dissuade people from just rocking up without a ticket. Uh, um, and we have no choice in that, obviously. We're, we're not uh, putting on the game. The game's still being put on by Venues West. Uh, it's under their control. Uh, but once you get in, um, prices are a lot cheaper uh, for beverages and food uh, at Macedonia Park than they are at HVS Stadium. Mm. So I believe beer prices are almost half of what they uh, are at the other ground. Okay, that's great to hear, certainly for people that want a you know, nice uh, night out without going silly. Yeah. Uh, of course, drink responsibly and watch a good game of football. And it's so important for the Glory to win their first game of the season uh, in some ways, isn't it? Certainly the first home yeah, game yeah, of the no, season. Yeah, first game at home that, that we should win, yeah. Look, we've been uh, unlucky uh, with injury. I mean, our captain's finally coming back. He missed three games. Um, so, you know, that that's good news that he, he's back. Um, we've really got a, a, a star striker. Hopefully he's joining us in, in the January window. Obviously we can't get anyone uh, before then. So we've only got two games to go, before home games. So we're really looking forward to to uh, to that. I can't say who it is yet until it's signed. So you can't, um, match, you but, can't match the Saudi offer for Cristiano Ronaldo then? <laughs> yeah, that's amazing, isn't it? I, I thought he would go to the MLS. Always did think that. Yeah. Uh, as soon as the trouble started um, at Man U, I always thought because Gareth Bale's on a fortune there, yeah. and uh, it really has lifted the standard. The crowds that uh, go and see Gareth uh, Bale—it's absolutely amazing. Uh, and it's a shame that I mean I think the uh, APL. Uh, made a bid for, for Ronaldo, and he came about $250 million less than the Saudi. <laughs> Good on you, Tony. Oh, thanks for joining us. Of course, not forgetting, there's also action at Macedonia Park at 4 o'clock because uh, we've got the W League, the Perth Glory uh, women's team Sunday. in action on Sunday at 4 o'clock. Yeah, they were unlucky. Two games now away from home to have two all draws. So, look, we can, we, we've got a very, very good potent forward line. Um, and to score two, four goals away from home in two games, it's just that we've only got two points where we should have uh, probably uh, six points. But uh, the girls are doing a great job, uh, and I think they'll have a big win this weekend. Okay, that's Sunday at 4 o'clock, and the Glory A-League side, Saturday night, 7.30. Get organised uh, with your tickets. Uh, get them online, or make sure you've got your credit or debit card ready when you go to the turnstile. Tony, we'll see you on uh, Saturday night. Yes, you certainly will. Good Thanks, on you. Peter. Tony Sage, the owner chairman of the Perth Glory, joining us. Speaking of HBF Park, of course, that's one of the venues for Venues West. We'll find out exactly what's happening going forward at all their venues next when we speak to the Chief Operating Officer of uh, Venues West in Peter Bocop next. Sports Day for Kia. The seven-seat Kia Sorento. Kia's most awarded large SUV ever. Available now at your nearest Kia dealer. Yes, we do it once a month. We check in with the Chief Operating Officer of Venues West, Peter Bocop. Just have a chat about what's happening at all the great uh, stadia around Perth and real variety of sporting action. And we welcome Peter to the program now. Pete, thanks for your time. 
It's all right, Pete. How are you travelling, I'm very well. We've had the test match here. That's done and dusted, even though the attendances weren't anything flash. Uh, there were reasons for that. But I gather the attendances will be a lot better when the Big Bash League number 12 gets underway next week and runs right throughout the school holidays. Looking forward to seeing how the Perth Scorchers go. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's not summer in Perth without wonderful cricket. And there's seven different opportunities, three in December and four in January, to go and see the Big Bash. Um, I myself, I'm definitely going on the 4th of January to see the Scorchers beat the Sydney Thunder. Uh, but look, a Perth team that I think they're still the favourite to take home the title, Pete. So yeah. Great to get behind. Yep. Yeah, I think they're going to do probably or at least a bit better than the West Indies did. <laughs> oh, yeah. The West Indies were good for a certain parts of that five-day test match, but in the end, Australia were all class. So people can just get their tickets for the Big Bash online? They can too, or just jump on the Ticketmaster website for that one. Good stuff. Uh, RAC Arena, there's some great concerts coming up there. And I think Rod Stewart and Cindy Lauper are there. And uh, you've got some great entertainment, including sport. Perth Wildcats games continue during December and January. Good Christmas presents. By the way, uh, as we know at SCN, we are the owners of the Perth Wildcats. Get behind the Perth Wildcats this season and head to tickettech.com.au now to get your tickets uh, to go and see them in action at the RAC Arena, Peter. To the SEN goes to Jeremy at the NBL actually. Uh, he's the commissioner and he did say that the Wildcats are the benchmark team of the league. No one's achieved what they've achieved. So NBL really needs the Wildcats to do well and obviously last season was the only time in 35 years we didn't make the finals and they're in quite a precarious position. A few wins is going to get them home but if they don't get there, it's not going to be great. So I think everyone that's been a Wildcats fan needs to get back on there and bring them home. They said two games in December, then 14, 20, and 27 January. And wouldn't you love to see the Wildcats take home another title? Yeah, oh, yeah, especially after what happened last season. I'll tell you what I'm looking forward to, the United Cup. There's going to be some great tennis returning to RAC Arena, which is a great venue and a great uh, spectator venue when it comes to top-class tennis. Oh, absolutely. So there's 18 countries from around the world, and six of them are coming over to Perth. And I must admit, it must be a bit of a, a World Cup when you look at the teams in here, we've got uh, Greece, Bulgaria, we've got France and Argentina, and we've got Belgium and Croatia. It sort of nearly rings true of the, the Football World Cup final yeah. eight there, Pete. Um, obviously, these guys hit a pretty mean tennis ball as well. And um, I think the main attraction, we've got the Greek god Stefano Tsipasis. Tsipasis, Peter. And you played tennis and you couldn't get his name right. Gee whiz. I know. I have to. I have to touch on my Greek. <laughs> um, but looking at the sales, they're pretty strong. But certainly, the the matches with Greece in there must be um a lot of a lot of the ladies out there looking forward to seeing Stefano get out there and do his stuff. Yeah, no, it'd be good. Uh, it'd be great tennis. Don't worry about that. Heading into the Australian Open in January. Now, I believe you can confirm UFC two eighty four is coming twelfth of February. Is it a sellout, Pete? I think I'd have to check, but it's possibly the fastest selling event we've ever had. These these tickets just flew off the shelf. It sold out, I think, within minutes. But we're we're hoping there might be some more release somewhere along the line. Everyone's turning, you know, up every stone to see what else can be put out there. But, gee, this, this event just went through the roof. So at the moment, I don't believe you can get tickets. But look, stay stay in touch and 
if there is any that can be put on, sometimes the promoters just hold a few, and if they don't use them, they put them back on. But, gee, they're worth their weight in gold. Rare as hen's teeth, Pete, at the moment. Yeah, no, I heard that. Uh, it just went absolutely gangbusters when they were released. Keep listening to my program, and I'll keep you up to date with what's happening there if any tickets are released. Just spoke to Tony well, Pete, Sa- Go on. I was going to say, if, if anything happens, I'll make sure I give you a yell. <laughs> yeah, good on you, mate. Thanks for that. I appreciate it. So people can listen here. Perth Glory, Macedonia Park. They're back home and they've got a couple of games in December at long last. They're back in Perth playing home games. Yeah, look, another iconic Perth team and great to see them playing back in Perth after a couple of years of COVID. Um, I went out to Macedonia the other day and it's looking really good. They've redone the pitch. Um, it's got a whole bunch of venue upgrades and you, the temp lights are coming in. It's going to be a really, really good environment. So I know one of the things that Glory said, whilst they would like to be at their, their home stadium that's being upgraded for the Women's World Cup, um, they wanted a really, really tight environment. And it's great that the fans are sitting about four metres from the sidelines, Pete. So I think it's going to be a, a wonderful experience for the people that get down there. Good stuff. Uh, the Perth Lynx, of course, in the WNBL are in action at the Bendat Basketball Centre there in Florida. Yeah, a couple more games to go in December, the 8th and the 30th, and they're sort of in a similar position to the Wildcats, sitting at the middle of the table, and they need to need to bring these two home to make sure they make the finals. But I've, I've got a sneaking suspicion they might even show the guys up and, um, and feature very prominently as we come to the end of the season, Pete. I tell you what, kid growing up, all the Speedway was at Claremont Speedway, and the Boxing Day program was always huge. And I gather now, of course, at the more modern Perth Motorplex, that the Boxing Day program is just going to be as big as it's always been. And for those people that remember the good old days at Claremont Speedway on Boxing Day. Absolutely. And it's Monday night, Boxing Day. Great way to recover after Christmas Day. And it's their USA Speed Week. So I think we're going to see some of the most competitive sprint car races. Um, Australia, sorry, Australia or WA versus the USA is always a fantastic fixture. So get on there and cheer the Aussies and help them, you know, defend their titles on home soil. Good on you, Pete. Thanks for joining us and give us a nice snapshot of what's happening at all the great venues under the auspices there of Venues West uh, and you're the Chief Operating Officer. Have a great Christmas, mate. We'll talk to you early in the new year and we'll see you around the Venues West Stadia over the festive season. Absolutely, Pete, and thank you for you and um, SEM for all the support. We really appreciate it. Good on you. Peter Bokop joining us here on the program, and as you can see, some great uh, entertainment sport-wise coming to Optus Stadium, RAC Arena. We've also got Macedonia Park for the glory, the Bendat Basketball Centre, and the Perth Motorplex. They're down there in Ankertel. Uh, some big activity happening. Uh, just on the SMS, we're talking about why there were no people at Optus Stadium for the test match. And Alex said it was all due to the ticket prices. He says, I went. This is Knackers in Bayswater. I don't know what Knackers' first name is, but he says, I went and paid 30 bucks and had a choice of seats anywhere with no crowd there in full cover. Yeah, I suppose. You could go anywhere after you got your allocated seat. You could get up, wander, and maybe go somewhere else. Anyway, tomorrow, 5 o'clock to 6, come and join us for the final Sports Day program, I believe, for the year. We'll confirm that tomorrow. James Johnson's going to join us, actually, uh, the CEO of the Football Federation of Australia. All the questions that you want answered regarding the code of football, Graham Arnold's future will all be answered tomorrow from 5 o'clock. Look forward to your company then. Thanks, Jimmy.
And thanks also to Lee for driving the panel. See you tomorrow from 5 here on SENWA.